Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. All right. Good morning. Thank you for being here with me this morning. And thank you, worship team. Um, We're beginning a brand new sermon series today. And it's entitled Generations, and we kind of sang about a little bit of the generational blessing, um, and that'll, that'll come into play in a few weeks. We'll get, to, we'll get to speak on that a little bit at the end of today's sermon. But in order to understand the generational blessing, we have to kind of start with the generational sin, the bad stuff. So my assignment today is just to lay the groundwork, to lay the foundation for what it is that we mean about generational cycles and generational sin, generational blessing, all of it. And we kind of um, threw it up on an old VHS tape. Anybody remember those? Or are those too, too archaic already? Um, but if, if you've lived, well, I, I should say you haven't really lived until you've popped in one of these suckers and you've watched like old home videos and of generations gone by, maybe they didn't even look like this for Billy. I don't know what they had before this, but they, I know they make the kind where you can like pop in your really old cassette into the VHS and make that play. Is that, is that more along the lines of your generation? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, exactly. The actual film. But anybody, if you've, if you've taken time at all to ever sit down and watch old Family videos, old, old, old footage from the camcorder or whatever it was. Um, maybe some of it's fuzzy. Maybe some of it's black and white. You know, like the memories that flood your mind and some of them good. Some of them, hopefully, if you're capturing it on VHS, hopefully it was good. Um, but you'll see some of the generational tendencies. Maybe you look like your grandfather or you remember this aunt or this random uncle that was there for that birthday or your first ever walking or your first crawling, whatever it may be that was captured on that. And we see a lot about our family from these old VHS tapes, these old memories. Maybe it's just a photo album and it's like your grandmother's photo album and all the photos in there are black and white or sepia and, um, and you just, you're flipping through these old, old photos and you're having to, um, somebody's looking over your shoulder explaining who's who and what photo and uh, who the old car went to and who uh, the, the, the crazy ants related to and all this stuff. So much about our family and our history is handed down. Anybody ever done Ancestry.com or 23andMe or one of these? Um, okay, cool. We have a few. And, and you, you learn even more, right? That's, that's digging a little deeper than the VHS tapes can go or the old photo albums. You learn way back who you're related to. They say, I've never done Ancestry.com or 23andMe, but I'm told that I'm related to Jesse James, the, the train robber from like the Civil War era. Yeah, that explains a lot, right? So much is explained. So, but other than that, I know, I know nobody famous or well-known that I'm related to, but maybe you do. Maybe there's somebody in, in the 
back, back archives of your family's history that's famous. But we learn about these traits, right? On 23andMe, it's like the DNA swipe, right? It's the, it's the mouth swab that you send in or whatever. And you learn so much about your DNA and all the things that are handed down to you, whether it's body type, physical traits, blood type, length of life, athletic ability, hair loss. Sorry, Jeremy Moyers. Um, and all kinds of stuff is handed down, right? Not just physical things, not just like my, I have my great grandfather's golf clubs, which are ancient. And, and if I ever go golfing or to the driving range, I get made fun of because they're, they're literally ancient, but they're cool. It's, it's my great grandfather's club. So I hang on to them. The bag is the coolest part. Um, but we all have something, maybe it's, um, Maybe it's a set of china for you ladies that was handed down through the family. Maybe it was just an heirloom, something very special or unique that you hang on to. It's put away. You don't really touch it or use it, but it's there. A lot of things are handed down, the most significant of which are not tangible. How about our character? How about certain fears that we have? How about our health? How about thought patterns and logic? See, there's much more things that are handed down than physical attributes, than material possessions. In fact, science is still backing it up today. In in 2016, a study was published in the NIH journal that breaks down the genetic research describing how anxiety and depression and even things like schizophrenia are passed down transgenerationally. So not just maternally or paternally, not just, oh, you got that from your dad or that came from your mom. No, no, no. This goes back transgenerationally. Things like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and other mental things. Sure, there are things that we develop due to our environment. We call that nurture. But the majority... Well, that's just cooked in. That's nature. That's in our DNA. That's the blueprint blueprint that we received that's with us, whether we like it or not, right? So I want you to catch this. Not only do attributes such as character traits, looks, and health have generational effects, but the Bible reveals a deeper layer that our actions have generational effects also. Not only attributes, but our actions have generational effects. In fact, more extreme effects. And in order for us to create these legacy landmarks for our generations to come, we have to first understand the generational nature of God himself. See, we're made in the image of a generational being. That means we ourselves are generational beings, and that includes our sin has generational effects. So let's look a little bit about God himself. God is generational in his actions toward humanity. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 20, because this is the very first place where God explicitly shows us his generational nature, that he deals with us, generationally speaking. And this is in the middle of him giving the Ten Commandments. You know it well. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not make a false image, thou shalt not envy, and on and on. It goes, but right in the middle of God giving Moses these Ten Commandments, he says this, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, speaking of idols, 
For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Generational sin. But I think we're all grateful for verse 6. It's not all bad, right? But showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And in your version of the Bible, it might even say, showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation is actually how it reads in the Hebrew language itself. So yeah, generational sin has its effects. The Bible says, into the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But those who love God and keep his commandments, the generational blessing far outweighs the generational sin. So this is where God introduces the concept of generational cycles, generational curses, sins, blessings. Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Again, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Genesis 15, 16, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Deuteronomy 23, 2. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. 2 Kings 15, 12. This was the promise of the Lord that he gave to Jehu. Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. All of those Verses that I read describe, and there's so many more, but for time's sake, I wanted to read those, but just shows you the generational nature of God. The way he deals with us is generationally, and we may not see it here. I think in American culture, we're so individualistic that we don't really see the full effect of God's generational dealings with humanity. But he is in, in, both his, in both his cursings upon humanity and his blessings upon humanity. He is a generational God, making us generational beings. Okay, so what are some of the verses in Scripture about us? Joshua 14, 9. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Judges 2.10. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take care. This is Moses speaking again to the children of Israel. To keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart, all the days of your life, make them known to your children and to your children's children. We have a generational responsibility just as we have been given a generational mindset by a generational God. We deal generationally. Now, as Americans, it doesn't hit quite home, but everybody remembers Mulan, right? In the Eastern culture, and in Japanese culture and Chinese culture, it is the, the, the family, the generational family is, is, is obsessed over. They worship it. They're at the opposite of, end of the, of the spectrum to an extreme. 
And Eastern culture and civilizations, family is everything. Generational cycles are everything. To the point where Mulan is trying to please her father so much, she pretends to be the soldier, you know the rest of the story. Who knew Disney was so biblical sometimes? Um, so, so I want you to put yourself in that, that framework, that mindset, because we lose it. We lose it in our individualistic society. Every man stands on an island. Uh, that's not the case in the Bible. That's not the kind of God we serve. That's not the kind of people we are. We are generational. Now, here's where we really bring it home is that sin is generational in its effect as well. Sin is. Hosea 8.7 says, They, speaking of those that hate me, remember Exodus 20, those that hate me shall reap the sin to the third and fourth generation. Hosea says, They sow the wind. In other words, We sow the wind, and then it says they reap the whirlwind. So whatever you sow, whatever actions you take, whatever sins you commit now, you reap tenfold. And if you don't, your children do. And if your children don't, then your grandchildren do. Let me show you a a verse that's even more clear in Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 12. It's going to be up here on the screen. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned, Romans 5.12. If there's no other verse in scripture that speaks about generational sin, it's this one. We all come from the sin of one man, Adam, the first man to ever live, and it's been passed on through our generations forever. Generational sin, Romans 5.12. But let me show this to you in example form. Everybody likes a good example, right? Uh, I do. I know if I, if I can't see a story, a picture version of what we're talking about, I'm lost. So let's go to Genesis chapter 26. Uh, and this is, this is Isaac. This is one of the forefathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 sons. In Genesis chapter 26, we see a story, a little story about Isaac and his wife in a famine And, well, we'll read about the rest. So, in Genesis 26, 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. That was his daddy. We're going to come back to him. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So he's panicking, right? There's a famine in the land. He's like, oh, man, where do I go? What do I do? How do I provide for my family? He's like, oh, I know. I'll go down to Egypt. They always have everything there. And so he goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, who that, the Philistines stood in the way of his, of his travel path to get to Egypt. And the Lord appeared to him and said, no, 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 don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. We'll keep going to the next slide. So Isaac settled in Gerar. In other words, he's going to stay put. God says, don't go down to Egypt. Egypt always represents sin or the world or temptation. Don't do that. I want you to settle right here for the time being in Gerar. So Isaac listened. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, oh, she's my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah because she was attractive in appearance. 
Now, whatever you think of Isaac's sin right here, it's, I mean, it's messed up. He's calling his wife his sister because he's afraid for his own life. But I want you to zoom out and look at the broader story here, and I want you to identify a pattern. See if you can follow this. Crisis, fear, lie. There's a crisis in the land due to the famine. And because of the crisis, he's panicking and he becomes full of fear to the point that he denies his own wife. And she's like, hey, can you, can you just pretend to be my sister? Because I don't want anybody killing me to get to you because you're beautiful. That's messed up stuff. So the crisis brought fear into his heart and the fear that captivated his heart caused him to lie about who his wife was. Now, we don't get to finish the story, but later on, um, the Bible, you got to love the Old Testament. The Bible says in Genesis 26 that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, saw Isaac through a window fondling his wife and was like, your sister? What? And he confronts Isaac and Isaac says, oh man, you caught me. She's my wife. I just didn't want you to kill me. So I said that she's my sister. And he's like, dude, that's, that's repulsive. That's that's messed up. But now that the word's gotten out that this is your sister, I'm going to tell anybody who even touches you or her, they're dead because I don't know what kind of juju y'all got surrounding you, but I don't want any part of that. But anyway, the point is crisis produced fear, fear produced a lie. But wait a minute. This isn't the only place this has happened before in the Bible, where Isaac says, hey, pretend to be the sister so that my life can be preserved because I don't know what's going to go on during this famine. It sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Now there was a famine in the land. Okay, that's starting the same. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Let's go on to verse 13. So say that you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Well, 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 well. If we don't have a little generational sin going on. This is Isaac's dad. This event took place 100 years before the famine that showed up in Isaac's day. This is not the same story, but it's the same cycle. Famine in the land caused Abraham to panic. Crisis shows up in his life. He begins to fear, and the fear turns into a lie. Only this time it's a white lie because Abraham was actually his half-sister. So there's that. We don't know how it all works in the Old Testament, but we all came from one man and one woman. I'll just say that. So at some point, you're marrying somebody you're related to. So but let's not go too deep into that today. That'll be, a, that'll be a sermon for another Sunday. But yes, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. Half, um, 
So it's just a little white lie. But it's the same cycle. Fear, lie. Crisis, fear, lie. And then it gets handed down to Isaac. And Rebecca's not a half-sister. She's just full-blown wife. And so the white lie turns into a full blatant lie. And then guess what happens? If you thought that was all in Genesis 27, Jacob goes to his father, Isaac, pretends to be Esau so that he can have the blessing and the birthright. He puts skin on his arms, the, 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 uh, the fur of an animal, so that when he goes before Isaac, his, his dad was almost blind, nearly blind. All Isaac had to go off of was, well, what do you smell like and what do you feel like? Okay, you're Esau. But it was really Jacob in the skins of an animal. So he stole the blessing and the birthright that God wanted to give to him anyway. And we have this cycle continued in a different form. So it goes from Abraham and it goes to Isaac and then it goes to Jacob. And then what happened with Jacob's sons? If you remember, they all hated one particular brother named Joseph. He was the favored one. He was daddy's favorite. And it got to a point where they're like, because of your stupid dreams and because of all these prophecies that you keep telling us, Joseph, we're going to make you pay. And they take him out one day. They throw him into a pit. They sell him to the Midianites. And then they bring this coat of many colors. They dip it in blood. They bring it back to dad. And they say, what happened to Joseph? Looks like he got ate by an animal. And they all pretend to mourn his death. So the sin of Abraham, crisis, fear, lie, gets passed down all the way to Joseph and his brothers. Crisis, we can't stand this guy. Fear, oh no, we've sold him. We have to come up with a lie to cover up. This is a picture-perfect example of what generational sin does. Now let me show you Genesis 25, 5. It's a short verse, but I think it says all that we need to know. In Genesis 25, 5, it's referring to how Abraham passed on everything he had to Isaac. And it says Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. That's it. That's the verse. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And that means more than goats and worldly possessions. It meant the generational sin too. It's passed on through the male. It's passed on through the father figure. So what does this have to do with us? Let's bring it home. And this is what I want to leave you with today. And that is this statement. What isn't healed is handed down. What isn't healed is handed down. I can't choose what I've been handed, but I can choose what I hand off. There were a hundred years between Genesis 12 and Genesis 26, but the crisis was handled as if it were the same day by the same person. What isn't healed is handed down. So to, wait a minute, Jim, does, does God really punish me for the sins of my fathers? Well, Exodus 18.20, no, God doesn't punish you. The Bible word is he visits the iniquity. 
He visits the iniquity. So no, you're not, you're not punished for your dad's sin or for the sin of your grandfather, but there's an element where I believe it's passed on. Just like Abraham passed on to Isaac, Isaac passed it on to Jacob, Jacob passed it on to his sons. He allows the cycle of sin to reap generational consequences. We either repeat the sins of our fathers or what do we do? We vow to live so differently, so extremely opposite that we fall into a parallel ditch on the other side of the road. We overcorrect and we become like our grandparents or great-grandparents who affected the way our parents turned out. There's no way around it. What isn't healed is handed down. There is a way out though. There's no way around this generational cycle, but there is a way out. There is a way to heal the sin. There is a way to break the cycle. There is a way to end the generational curse. And it's not by overcorrecting. It's not by overcoming. It's not through self-help or therapy. It's not simply by having a new reference point for understanding why you are the way you are. It's by becoming engrafted into a new bloodline. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 that that verse 12 that showed us where all of this sin ultimately came from, generationally speaking. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, thanks a lot, Adam. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. But guess what? The passage doesn't end there. Let's go through 17 through 19. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's you and I. So by the one man's obedience, that Jesus, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. I don't know if you're catching it, but what the Bible is saying is, yes, sin has generational consequences. Sin is generational. We are generational by nature. And there's no way around it. We either become like our daddy or we work so hard at not being like our dad, we end up being like our grandparents that produced the parent. And so there's no way around it. We are generational beings, but, but, when we get engrafted into a new family, a new bloodline, that whole system comes crashing in on itself. Because just as one man's sin condemns us all, one man's righteousness justifies us all. So the way to break generational sin, the way to break those generational curses and generational cycles is to get up under the blood of a different family. That's the only way out. That's the only way through. It is the blood transfusion of Jesus. Galatians 3.14 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's the generational curse, by the way. By what? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus bodily became the fulfillment of that generational curse that the law put in place. God handed down the generational curse of Adam upon his son and his son handed down the generational 
righteousness to everyone who would believe. That's called imputation. That's a Bible doctrine right there. Imputation. This is the generational blessing that lasts thousands of generations. And let's close with John 1, 12 and 13. So how do I get in on this new bloodline? How do I become part of a new family? Yes, I might be handed down generational sins. I might be handed down generational baggage and stuff. And, and partly, yeah, it, it helps me understand where I come from. It helps me understand why I am the way I am. But if I'm ever going to break those cycles, if I'm ever going to heal before I hand down, it's got to be right here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood. Hey, we weren't born into that bloodline. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Folks, if you want to break these generational sins, these generational cycles, and we're going to have a lot more to unpack about this stuff. But I'm so grateful today that there's a different bloodline to get engrafted into. And we can't do it by the will of man. We're we're not born into it. But if we receive it, if we receive the free gift that Jesus died to provide, we can We can break generational change. We can break generational cycles. We can break generational sins. That's where the power lies. It's not in our blood. It's in a blood transfusion that comes into us that we have to receive. I'm so grateful that I found God's grace in the midst of my generational sin. Those of you who know my testimony know that I struggled with my sexuality my whole life. I can remember from the age of five, I remember being in kindergarten thinking that I was just different. I wasn't like everybody else. I wasn't like the other boys. And I went on to struggle silently my whole grade school, middle school, high school. And for me, the cycle wasn't, my cycle wasn't crisis, fear, faith, my cycle was freedom, temptation, sin. So everybody's cycle isn't the same. My freedom came in the form of college. I was finally free, got to do what I want. I thought there, was, there would be no repercussions for my actions. And I lived out my sexual confusion. I just lived it out, did what I wanted, fell in temptation, fell into lust, fell into sin. And it's not until... Well, number one, I was found out. And number two, I had to, there there was a process where I got alone with God and I wrestled with this sin. I wrestled with this cycle of freedom, temptation, and lust. And I had to physically get it under the blood. I had to say, Jesus, I cannot fix this generational thing. I got to get it under the blood of Jesus. If it's going to be broken, if it's going to be healed, if I'm going to prevent handing it down, you're going to have to do it. And I got it under the blood of the cross, and that's where I found true freedom. And I believe one of the, one of the most beautiful places I can see God's grace on my life is that I didn't realize until after I had dealt with my sexuality It wasn't until after I processed it and gave my sexuality fully to God that I realized, oh, 
My dad's dad, we never knew who he was. Um, my dad had a good idea. He definitely didn't look like Mr. Reese. But there was this joker named Mr. Miller. <laughs> and that's his real biological daddy. And he was a mess. He was a homosexual. He was, he was married to different women in different states. He went to prison and lived out all kinds of sexual passions in prison. And then he would pretend that he was still married to his wife in New Mexico and one in Texas and one over here. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. And I thought I was messed up. This brother is, <laughs> this brother, he's on a whole nother level. But it wasn't until, it wasn't until I gave my sexuality to God that God gave me the grace to see it in my past. And maybe you, you won't have that privilege, but I do guarantee that if you deal with your generational sin, if you'll deal with your generational curses, whatever they may be, anxiety, depression, um, it, it might be things like pornography, it might be things like lust that I dealt with, it might be different things like anger or a hot temper or whatever it may be. Those hidden things, those unseen things. If you can step back, if you can look at the story of Abraham and then it goes to Isaac and then it goes to Jacob, this, this sin of, this, this cycle of generational sin, identify it in your own life. It won't be the same, but it'll be similar. It'll be a cycle. You can identify it, get it under the blood, get engrafted into a new bloodline this morning. If you've never accepted Christ, today's your day. Just like Brandon said, we, I, I want to be a part of the, uh, the a thousandth generation. I want to be on the side of the generational blessing, not the curse. If that's you, if you want to live out generation after generation of God's blessing, then you need to accept, become part of a different family this morning. It's available to you. The work's been done. The blood transfusion has already been in place. Just accept it. Believe in his name. He'll give you the right to become a child of God, sons of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take a moment to pray over each one of us today. We're introducing a heavy topic. Generational sin and generational cycles are real. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, it's very much a part of who we are. We can trace back to the generation before us and the generation before that and the generation before that and we can identify patterns. We can identify sin cycles. We can identify curses that live on. They linger on. The Bible says to the third and fourth generation. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's true that what isn't healed is handed down. But the good news today is that you can heal it. There is healing to be found. There's healing to be had in the name of Jesus. That just because we're all descendants of our fallen father, Adam, there's a different father, Father God, who placed a generational curse upon his son, Jesus Christ. He placed the generational curse of Adam upon his son. He bore all that weight in his body on the tree. He was broken for us. He bled out for us. He died for us so that we could be engrafted into a new family, a new bloodline, and be part of a generational blessing. 
If that's you today and you've never accepted a new family, if you've never known how to break this generational sin cycle that you're caught up in, Maybe today's the first day you've even thought about it and it's going to take time to process exactly what that cycle is for you. But I just pray in the quietness of your heart this morning that you'll determine that whatever sins you struggle with that are deeply rooted into who you are, that you will get them under the blood this morning. That you will surrender them to Jesus Christ who already died, he already paid for them, the blood was already shed for them, all you have to do is accept his name by faith to be engrafted into a new bloodline. Believe that you can and believe that he can. That's it, just like me. When I said, God, if, if I'm going to live out the, the purpose that I believe you've called me to, if I'm going to be able to live and a generational blessing, if I'm going to be able to hand down something healthy and wholesome to my kids, then I'm going to have to give my sexuality completely over to you. And if, it's, if there's work that's to be done, you're going to have to do it because I have no power. I have no strength to fix myself. I have no ability to recreate who I am. But the Bible says, those who are found in Christ become a new creation. You can be brand new today. God, I pray a blessing over each and every one of us today as we deal, as we continue to unpack some of these generational cycles that we'll see over the next few weeks, that you'll constantly remind us of the power that is in the blood, that it seals us and saves us forever, once and for all, forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.